You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Welcome to Basketball Gold, everybody, with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps. My partner, Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach, color analyst for the L.A. Clippers, color analyst for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, of course, these are the Telestrator, as named by your buddy Marv Albert back when you were working together at NBC. You're doing the Clippers games. Clippers just had a tough one. You're really busy following two teams and an entire league, sir. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it would be a uh, be a long season if you only got a couple games to do the entire season. But very fortunately for me, uh, the Clippers have been great to me over the last three seasons. And again, this year came back and I'll do somewhere between uh, 45 and 50 games for them this season. Already done a couple studio shows for them along the way. And when people are sitting there listening, saying, well, how come he doesn't know exactly what the number is? Because as you know, Jeff, there's always a phone call that comes where one of your partners, one of the people that you work alongside of or you work opposite of, meaning he's A, you're B, uh, you get all the games that he can't do and the games that I pick up, then he's out of those games. Well, sometimes a new assignment comes up. I work with uh, Jim Jackson doing Clipper games for Bally's Sports SoCal. And Jimmy has so many things going on between the Pac-10 and TNT, NBA TV, the NCAA tournament, which is done on CBS, that all of a sudden something pops up and he might call in and say, hey, I can't do the game next Saturday. Can you fill in for me? So there's a chance of picking some up there. And then yeah. with the Cavaliers, they were nice enough this season to come and uh, gave me a 22-game package, uh, 10 assignments in the studio or at the arena pre-post-game show, and then 12 analyst-type uh, positions during the course of a game. So I'm excited. That's a lot of basketball to do during the season. It will entail some travel, but who's complaining? <laughs> watch the game, be part of the game, call the game, and and if you're lucky enough, you're on a team playing, going to the next city. It's not all that bad. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Uh, one of your teams had one of its greatest players, in fact, its greatest player of all time in town. Cavaliers against the Lakers on Tuesday night at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Lakers came in hot, Mike. They had won eight of their last ten games. Uh, it was a good game. Cavaliers put together a 9-0 run when it was tied at 92. They pulled away, led by at least five the rest of the way, and got the win over the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, a couple of things there. Anthony Davis had been hotter than hot. He was out with flu-like symptoms after about eight minutes. He scored one point. So it wasn't the Laker team that has been playing so well. Yet, the Cavaliers came up with a big game. They got the win. I don't care really who's on the floor. If you get the win, you get the win. And Donovan Mitchell was outstanding for the Cavaliers. He's been so good all season long. But this was one of those games, Mike, where maybe he, they really needed him to take it over, and he did. 
He had 43 points in this game and was just outstanding and showed why you go out and get a guy like that. Obviously, I'm happy that the uh, Cavaliers were able to come up with the win. It's a shame uh, for the Lakers that they were starting to see that 500 mark out in front of them. Uh, they had worked their way from way back, 8-2 and two in their last 10 games going into that one with the Cavaliers. Uh, Anthony Davis having a 10-game streak like maybe he's ever had before in his NBA career, just coming off a 55.17 rebound performance. And you say, like, this guy's on a roll, and, you know, LeBron was happy to play second fiddle. I'll, you know, I'll chip in with 28, 29 points while you're getting 55 and 17 reaps. But for him to come up with the uh, cold, flu, whatever it was, the symptoms that he had, and only uh, come up with one point uh, in the game, after the magnificent stretch run that he had of 10 previous games, it was a shame. And kudos to the rest of the guys on the Laker team because they hung in there all the way until the Cavs, as you mentioned, put that run together, which kind of opened it up a little bit for them. But you know, that Laker team back in the beginning of the season, Jeff, may have been one of the worst teams that we've seen in the mm -hmm. NBA in a long time. Uh, not only uh, – dysfunctional disorganized you can put this in front of a lot of things with them <laughs> at that time trying to figure it out the trade room was swirling was russell westbrook gonna be there is he a starter is he coming off the bench is he gonna be out of here you know who wants to do a trade around the league for russell westbrook you know that telephone call was made to everyone uh, but uh, they made a change and, and the coaching position and when that guy finally got his hands feet nails into the group darvin ham and we're talking about darvin ham yep. and they started to believe in him they started to listen to him uh then you saw the team turn around and obviously when they get healthy it helps so much and uh, the team had gotten to a level where you go uh oh here they come to the 500 mark and now they're right back in the play in race or then play off race and I don't know, do you want to face a team that has LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Schroeder was a good pickup, bringing him back again uh, because he can score on given nights and he's good enough to make passes after he breaks guys down off the dribble. And they're just starting to form that second unit identity with Russell Westbrook coming off. So I don't know. I know this, as you said, there's a good win for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell was something special and that's why the package that they put together and gave to utah had to be uh, the magnitude that it was because that's the kind of player he is and then it certainly was nice to get jared allen back and he was only 11 of 14 from the floor which isn't a bad night shooting he had big numbers mike and again the Cavs had survived an injury which they've been doing all season long going back and forth but but i, I want to talk to you about this jared came in and he had a double-double over 20 points, over 10 rebounds. Darius Garland was terrific. But Mitchell, Allen, and Garland scored 88 of the Cavaliers, 116 points in that game. And everybody else had 28. And this is not an indictment on the Cavs. They won the game. They did a great job doing it. But nobody else had more than seven points. And, and the more I'm watching this around the NBA, you tell me, Mike, is this just is this me and, and it's just hitting me? Or is it more common around the NBA today 
that you're seeing a team that has one or two primo guys, three if you're lucky, and in the Cavaliers' case, I think four. So they might be a little bit even more so. But then everybody else just supporting these guys. The uh, the complete team where you know you'd go eight nine deep play play all of those guys a lot. Maybe even if if you were really fortunate, you know ten deep on any kind of a basis. It, but it just seems like with now 30 teams, 15 guys on a roster, there's so many players in the league. There are not as many maybe elite star players percentage-wise as, as there used to be. Or, or am I am I missing this? And, and this has been going on forever. It just seems to me like the whole great team concept isn't there. Now it's a couple of very elite guys and being supported by role players all the way around. You're right on a couple of the points that you made exactly, Jeff. Uh, one is it's a, it's a young league. Uh, if we have 30 teams in a league, we just say one-third of the league and the bottom third are all teams that have come out and basically said we're in a rebuilding mode. We're trying to reload. I mean, that's eight to ten teams all doing that. Uh, then you get the surprise teams that pop up all of a sudden that people didn't give a chance to. Uh, but the main guys, the heavyweights, the Milwaukee's, right? and you know, a lot of people will say right now, um, Milwaukee, Boston, the only two legitimate contenders uh, that are playing right now uh, basketball during the regular season, and that the rest of the team are all make-believe teams. They'll go mm-hmm. and run. Uh, for eight, ten games, and suddenly they drop back into the pack again. Uh, you probably have more middle-of-the-road teams in the league now where they're good enough to make the playoffs, but also good enough not to, you know, not to make the playoffs by a game or two. You're going to see, a, I have a feeling, you're going to see a whole bunch of teams when we come down the back stretch that are fighting for the play-in spot or to get in that, number five and six position where they're in the playoffs. Uh, If you are fortunate enough to have three slash four dominant players that you can throw the ball to, all this switching that's going on defensively, Jeff, coaches want to pick on somebody. So if they can run their, we'll call it the old Celtic weave, and get that switch and wind up with a small guard on a big either power forward, uh, center, and they can take advantage of that. They pound the ball in over and over again. So when you have something good going, if Garland and Donovan Mitchell can't be guarded by the other team's guards, I would expect that they would take the majority of the shots. And then who's the next guy? Well, Allen stepped up in their last game against the Lakers. Uh, but they also have a guy like Love who can come off the bench and suddenly he's getting 12, 14 field goal attempts making eight or nine of them. He's having a big night. That's the luxury of being as deep as they are. Mike, do you like coaching a team that has maybe the setup that the Cavs have, like like Boston has, you know, Tatum and Brown, and then and, and they certainly have some other key guys, but those guys, and then you're supporting everybody. When, when you had Dominique Wilkins in Atlanta, he was clearly your star at about 30 points a game. But he, I would think he had to have a pretty good night or other guys really had to step up. Is it a challenge to coach a team like that? Or is it, I, I won't say easier, or is, is, it, is it good as a coach because you know you have that guy who can go and do that for you on most every night? 
Dominique was our go-to guy. Everybody on the team knew it. He's going to get the majority of the shots on, on most nights. But we did have a pretty balanced team that we could get scoring from Doc Rivers, a big point guard, then Randy Whitman at the two-guard spot, then Kevin Willis wound up being a pretty darn good player, a seven-footer at the power forward position, who also could you know fill in if we wanted to move him over at the center spot. Coming off the bench, we had guys like John Battle who could put points on the board for us. Antoine Carr was a very good second unit guy as far as scoring for us. You could post him up. He commanded double teams. He'd pass the ball back out. So we did have depth. We could get scoring from other people, but we relied on Dominique getting us his 26, 27 to 30 points every night out. Because that's how good he was. But Mike, that's, you know, that team sounds deeper to me than most teams that are going in the NBA right now. Do you, do you feel it was and, and that maybe teams aren't as deep now and more star reliant than, than even a team like, you know, the Bulls when they had Jordan, you guys when you had Dominique? I don't think the league was as watered down then as it is now, you know, because of all these young people expanding the size of the roster, having 15 instead of 12. And, you know, the G League has been the growth of the G League and the developmental things that it's done for these players, simply sensational. Uh, Those guys who go down there, work with those G League teams, do one heck of a job. And the fact that they are uh, in coordination with what, the GM, president, head coach of the NBA franchise want to do. I, I used to always think it was it was ludicrous, the old 10-day contract. You <laughs> sign somebody to a 10-day contract out of the old CBA, whatever, the guy would come up. And you would never put him in the game as a head coach because he didn't know anything you were running. He didn't know your defensive principles. Now you get a guy and you see the day they bring him up, they put him in the game because he's been running – the parent club's offense and playing defense the same way. That's that's how they've coordinated this whole thing. They work in conjunction. So now you can finally be helpful to the parent club. When someone goes down, they have a serious injury, you can go pluck somebody off that G League team, bring him up, and hopefully he'll help you win a game or two. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. Mike Fratello, color analyst, Clippers, Cavaliers, former NBA head coach, with the Hawks, Cavs, and the Grizzlies. I'm Jeff Phelps. Worked with Mike for years. Love doing this with him. It's an awful lot of fun. The Cavs and the Lakers on Tuesday night, Mike, LeBron James in town. Uh, Nice video, tribute to LeBron. Good reception from LeBron. Um, All the animosity. You know, folks still wish he was in Cleveland, but the animosity is gone, and that's nice to see. He played well, as we'd all expect. 21 points, 17 rebounds, 4 assists. I want to talk about LeBron here. He's now in his 20th season. He'll be 38 at the end of this month, Mike. And a lot of guys, most guys, when they when they hit their late 30s, you start to see a drop off a little bit. He's averaging 25 points a game or more for his 19th straight season. He's over nine rebounds a game, 6.4 assists per game. And he just keeps doing it. And pretty soon he's going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the leading scorer in NBA history. Are you surprised that at the age of 38 here on December 30th, he's still playing at the level he's playing at, Mike? It's like one of those seals that they put a stamp on cars that would have a body built for greatness. And he's been blessed with, with an engine and with a frame that 
he has put time and money to keep it in the best possible shape it can be in so that it runs and it functions at a very high level. Remember those 20 years you mentioned, Jeff, they're not like four years sitting on the bench getting eight minutes a night. Okay? No. From basically day one, he's come in, he's played heavy minutes. Think how many competitive postseason games he's been right. involved with to go on top of the regular season. Think about the fact that basically he dominates the ball during the course of, of all the games that he's in. So it's just a little bit something extra. He doesn't have the luxury just running around trying to come off screens and somebody passing him the ball. Well, yeah, it happens, but he plays best with the ball in his hands because he makes so many things happen. And the, the statement you made about soon he will be passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the greatest scorer in NBA history. It's mind-boggling sure to think that he's done that while accumulating, amassing the number of assists that he's had. This isn't a guy that, you know, game's end, he's got 30 points and one assist. This is a guy that, you know, if he's getting his 30, he might have 10, 11 assists in a lot of these games along the way in, in the 20 years. He gets pleasure, he gets joy out of making the right pass and creating a good shot for a teammate. But at the same time, he knows he's capable of getting the bucket when he needs to get the bucket. So it it to me, it's it's just incredible what he's done. I think back and you and I talked this morning about going to watch him in high school mm-hmm. when he was at St. Vincent St. Mary's. And it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. No. I remember him playing that night. I can I can still see the game in my mind that night. And I remember to me. The, the biggest thing I took away from that was uh, Coach Joyce, if I'm correct. That, that yep, was Drew Joyce. St. Vincent, St. Mm-hmm. Mary's. He did not take the biggest, strongest, most talented guy and put him underneath the basket the whole night just to win games. He let LeBron develop those skills that he knew he had. He played him out on the perimeter so that he could find other teammates and, and make the passes to him. And that was so important to the development of LeBron's game. And I, I always credited Coach Joyce whenever I would speak at coaches' clinics or whatever. And I praised him for having the foresight of what this guy was going to be down the road and how you could best help him by letting him play in that role of facilitator instead of, Many high school coaches would take him, put him underneath the basket, throw him the ball every time. He would simply overpower. He was physically more imposing than everybody. Didn't ha- didn't happen that way. Yeah. I, that year, Mike, his senior year, I was in your role. I was the color analyst on pay-per-view games. His games were on pay-per-view. And it, it, was, it was funny to me that, that they were. And so I... I had the opportunity to see him play, I don't know, 20 times in in high school. And it was weird to me because he used to warm up. He he shot so many shots, not just threes, but he was out around half court. And he's jacking up half court shots to warm up. And I always thought, especially when I hadn't seen him play very much, and I thought, what's he doing way out there? And I don't know what he was doing to this day. And then the game would start. And it was what you said. I couldn't believe this kid who is more physically imposing than everybody else took such pr- 
pride in running an offense and passing the ball to the open man. And he was without question, the most physically imposing. I never saw anybody dominate the level of competition they were playing in, whether it be pro or college or whatever it was more than LeBron did in high school. And yet Mike, as you said, he could have done it even more if they had just pounded the ball to him inside, but his basketball IQ even then was something that stood out to me and really impressed me was was that along with what you had talked about where he was developing those skills facing the basket? Is that what struck you most about him at, at that age? Very much so. Uh, his uh, court savvy, court awareness, his ability to look over the entire court. He was, you know, steps ahead of everyone else, anticipating yeah. where the ball was going to go, where the pass was going to go, uh, to have the speed and quickness and strength that he had that, that big locomotive coming down the court and it wasn't chugging down the court it was flying down the court with him controlling the basketball and then making the decision at the end whether to take it all the way distribute the ball to a teammate or pull up and take a jumper and you remember early on jeff you if you were an opponent uh, you were hoping that lebron decided to shoot 20 jump shots because mm. he was not the greatest shooter coming out of high school, but he could do everything else he wanted to do, get anywhere on the court. And he knew uh, to have great success in the NBA, he was going to have to become a better perimeter shooter, a better foul shooter, because that's where you get so many of your points when you're a prolific scorer. And he did those things. I mean, I, <laughs> I can speak firsthand from games that we lost to LeBron's teams where he wound up making a huge three against us at the end of the game. And, you know, Prior to those times, you'd be saying to yourself, I hope he shoots a three. <laughs> he did shoot him. He was making them. And that. He has an uncanny knack. And, you know, we saw it in the playoffs for years with the Cavaliers. And I agree with you, Mike. Wasn't a great shooter. I don't think he's a great shooter now. But he is a such a clutch shooter. And, and to me, that's a very strange thing because you don't see a lot of guys, I don't think, who – are clutch shooters out of nowhere. I mean, great shooters. Okay. Guys can work on that maybe. And, and they're blessed and, and they're really good, but this guy just has a knack for hitting the big shot. Like, like folks that you just don't see. Let me go back to something you said about greatest ever and passing Kareem. And, and that's, if, if everything goes on schedule, that'll happen in January sometime. If LeBron doesn't miss games and everything, he averages about what he averages, but the assists that you mentioned, Mike, he's going to be, I think top three all-time in NBA and assists. Is that the thing that if you're going to talk about greatest players of all time, and I think it's really tough to pick one, you know, because, I mean, how do you say Wilt Chamberlain wasn't the greatest player? He couldn't be stopped. How do you say Kareem with the skyhook that couldn't be stopped? There, I, I love this debate and everything else, but LeBron being in it, is it the scoring? Is it the ability to pass the ball like he does, Mike? Is it the physical attributes combined with skill and IQ? What is it? Is there any one thing in, in your mind that has set him apart and has put him, if not number one or number two or number three, certainly, it, and, and everybody has their own opinion, in the conversation as the greatest player ever? What What is it? When this conversation comes up, it seems like uh, people immediately go to the championships the rings, how many of them. And then when they take it a step further, it's MVP of the championship 
series that you were in. How many of those do you have? And then everything else goes along with it. And, you know, the thing we have to remember is the greatness of the players before this new era that we have right now. Three-point shot wasn't as prevalent back when a number of these great players were playing. It wasn't used to the point where you, the team is taking 40 a night, 45 a night on the floor. And would they have been better three-point shooters? Um, the, uh, the care that's given to these players right now, uh, to their bodies. Um, I was just watching, as you know, the Clipper broadcast against Orlando, and they were talking about Mo Wagner, uh, one of the brothers that play for Orlando. And over the summer, he was playing in international competition against Ivica Zubats, who plays for the Clippers, right. for the Clippers. And they're talking, and they brought up the conversation they had when he said to Zoo, look at what we have. He goes, people in Europe don't have all this. He goes, how can we not be thankful Wow. or everything they surround us with to help us try and be successful. He said, I don't get it when I listen to certain people that want more, feel like we don't have enough. He said, we have more than you can imagine if you come from another country and you come here and you're playing NBA basketball to see the medical staff, so you the treatment people, the analytics people that say whether or not you should play that many minutes or not each night, you know, taking workload into consideration now. They don't have quite the same thing in other countries as we do here in the NBA. And I was really nodding my head listening to them talk about it on TV, saying how fortunate they are. So these other players that are in the conversation of greatest of all time, you know, how good would they have been? How long would they have lasted if they had the same opportunities? It's a, a great debate, and you can't go wrong when you debate it. I, I just think it's fun. LeBron at 38, coming up here, Mike. And the talk has been that, all right, his son is a high school senior, I believe, right now. He'll have to go to college for a year or the G League or wherever he's going to play. And then if he's good enough, get a chance to play in the NBA. And the talk, of course, has been Le LeBron would want to play with his son in the NBA, which that that would be so cool. It would be fun to see. But he would be 40 during that season. And I used to think, man, good luck. You know, I mean, play 40 when you're 40 in the NBA. It's happened. A lot of guys have, have done it, but their games have, have slid you know, quite a bit like John Stockton and, and not that John wasn't good when he was 40 years old, but uh, there's a, a pretty good laundry list of guys who played that long, but they were certainly different players, Mike, than they were when they were during their heyday. And I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that LeBron could hit 40 and still be a pretty good version of what he is right now. Can you see him doing that being 40, 41 years old? still scoring 22, 23, 24 plus a game and passing the ball like he does. I, I think it's a definite possibility. I think you're correct uh, without question that he could be a 20 point scorer when he gets to age 40. I was blessed and had one of those players who uh, Kevin Willis Atlanta 
uh, Kevin Willis, yeah. who I think played till 42 years old. Uh, I'm not sure if he turned 43 or not when he eventually retired, but Kevin kept himself in incredible shape, all right, at seven feet tall, uh, just a physical specimen who he understood how important his body was to him being able to play and was good enough to make teams and have coaches sign him and want him as a backup guy coming off the bench, set screens, toughness, go rebound the basketball. And uh, why why not with LeBron? And and I think the key is, you know, is I, I couldn't tell you today how good his son is. I haven't seen him enough. I've seen uh, some of the highlights of him in certain games and everything. But I don't know if he's an NBA player right now. Yeah. And could he be? I, maybe. Uh, but that's the first thing. He's got to make the league so that LeBron has a chance to do that. It's going to be a, a fun thing to see in the next year or two as his son gets toward NBA age and LeBron gets 40 and, and beyond. So I, I wouldn't put it past either of them. They've done some amazing things. Just think of the commercials that'll start coming out. Father <laughs> and son playing together, the 40-year-old and the 18-year-old. Mike, it's endless, isn't it? I mean, endless commercial possibilities there. So that that could be way too much fun. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. In the TNT broadcast of the Cavs-Lakers game, and those are guys, you've worked at TNT, Mike, and worked with those guys over the years. Uh, In their post-game show, Charles Barkley started talking about the city of Cleveland and the Cavaliers a little bit. And and somebody's name came up. I wonder whose name came up. Let's listen to Charles and find out. Man, I'm telling you, it's great to have the Cavaliers playing well again. Cleveland, to me, is one of the most underrated cities in the world. Uh, I love going to Cleveland. And you know what? Stop, man. Stop. You don't like Cleveland? I'm not saying I don't like Cleveland, but when's the last time that you ever called me, Shaq, or Noah. like, let's go to Cleveland? Hey, yeah. Let's go hang out in Cleveland. Joe Kim Noah. Joe yeah, uh, Kim Noah. Noah. There's no vacation spots. It's a nice city. Come on. It it's a nice city. I just said it's a nice city. No, but you said underrated. And what's your oh, favorite I, restaurant like in Cleveland? Go there and my favorite restaurant in, yeah. in Cleveland. Uh, I, the one with the food. I, 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 I haven't, I haven't uh, talked to Mike Fratello. Uh, he take me to some really sweet Italian places. So, Mike, there's what Charles had to say. It had everybody at my day gig working at 92.3 The Fan wondering, where did Mike take Charles Barkley in Cleveland for dinner? Where did you take him for dinner? We went to La Dolce Vida ah. in Murray Hill. Uh, the owner is Terry Tarantino. And interestingly, during the summertime, weather was warm. And I remember saying to him, do you want to sit inside or sit outside on the sidewalk? And he said, well, sit outside. It'll be great out there. And I said, yeah, but you're going to get bothered by everybody out there. If you're inside, they may not know that you're in there. He's no, no, no. Let's just sit outside. So Terry puts two tables together outside. We sit down. Charles is at the head of the table. At that time, there was still a traffic light on that corner. Oh, man. Where Murray Hill Road meets Mayfield Road and La Dolce Vita is on the corner. Well, you can imagine every red light when cars are backed up, people are looking out of the cars going, that looks like Charles Barkley over there, to the point where they would stop the cars, get out of the cars, 
and come over and ask him for an autograph. And he signed everybody's autograph. People were coming out of the buildings that live up in Murray Hill because the word spread. We started, like I said, with two tables put together. And I think when we finished, Terry had put two or three more long tables together. So it was all the way down the sidewalk in front of La Dolce Vita. And Charles was, he was in his glory, sitting there, having his food, having a beer, saying hello to all the people that wanted to say hi to Charles Barkley. That's funny. You you know, you have become the NBA's, you know, like ambassador for the city of Cleveland. Anybody who's coming to Cleveland, as Charles said, I got to call Mike, remember, find out exactly where we went. You're the ambassador. That's what I'm here for, right? <laughs> I, look, the mayor's got enough on his hand. He's got all the head coaches. They got a lot, you know, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, or basketball. I'll take some of the pressure off. Come in, call me. I'll help out if I can. Concierge, Mike Fratello. That's the way to get it done. Well, one thing Charles did say, Mike, and I thought it was interesting from a basketball standpoint. He said, you know, he's really happy, likes the Cavaliers, loves the fact that they're more than relevant, you know, extremely competitive. But he said, will the bench be good enough to help out? His concern was the Cavaliers bench and, and the depth involved there a little bit. And we, we touched on that a little bit earlier. Are you comfortable with the bench? And I, I love the idea of Karis Levert coming off the bench with Kevin Love. Obviously, they both have to stay healthy. Is there enough there, especially since... You know, you have four guys that you're really building your starting five around as opposed to a lot of teams that have two or three. Are you comfortable with the depth there and that it can help the team when it needs to? Let's remember that hopefully in the very near future, you're going to have three NBA starters on the second unit. You have Kevin Love. You have Karis LeVert and Ricky Rubio. We'll be back hopefully very soon. That's not bad to have three NBA starters, uh, one of which for sure uh, has been on the All-Star team multiple times. I'm not sure if Ricky Rubio ever made an All-Star team in the NBA, but we know how he played last year before he was injured for the Cavaliers and how good he can be and how much his teammates like him. So if you have five solid guys on the, the first unit, and then you're coming off with three starters in their past years of the NBA. The question mark, I think, you know, people are consistently saying, what about the small forward position? And between Jetty and Okoro and Stevens, you know, I feel bad for Windler. He, he just doesn't get a chance to be out there to see if he could be a guy that could play with that second unit and really help them. Well, they made a terrific discovery with Wade, and unfortunately he's out for a little while now, but they found out that he'll make shots for him, make shots from the three-point line, and he'll defend and can defend one through five if they want to switch and play him on one of those people. He does a very, very solid job doing that. So, um, he would be back, and would he be back in the role of a starter? Would he be back in the role of coming off the bench? That remains to be seen. But those names that I mentioned, Stevens, Okoro, Jenny Osmond, which one of them is going to surface and step up? And can they become the guy 
that J.B. Bickership can count on every night. You can't give him one night and disappear for four nights. You've got to be a guy that the head coach knows night in and night out. First unit guy, he's our starting small forward. We're going with him. Then the guy who comes off the bench on the second unit, you know, when Jetty does what Jetty can do with that second unit, he's terrific. Gives him energy, comes in, scraps all over the defensive end, comes up with steals or strips or block shots, gets in the corner and makes threes in the corner, runs in transition so those guards can push the ball and have somebody running with them. It's just when he deviates and gets away from doing the things that he can really do to help the team, then you start to look at, well, maybe we need to give somebody else those minutes if he's not. Well, remember, in the last couple of years, think about it, down the stretch, where has Jetty been? What what has he done down the stretch? And I think that's where the coaches have lost the confidence in him, the trust in him. Comes out a lot early in the season, and he's, he's smoking. Okay? He is dynamite. But can you keep that up over 82 games? 82 games is a long time. And that's what the coaches are looking for, the consistency. And maybe now, you know, maybe Jetty's at that point now that he's gotten up over the hill and understands, I've got to do this 82 games, not just 50 games during the season. Mike, JB hasn't been shy about playing the starters some pretty big minutes. And if you think about NBA history, you know, starters have always played big minutes. It's just more recently where you're watching those minutes and keeping them down but it's not uncommon to see, you know, Donovan Mitchell playing 35, 38 minutes. Same thing with Darius Garland, um, Jared Allen when he's normally up to speed, Evan Mobley as well. With that thinking, and I understand you're playing your you're playing your starters, you're paying your starters. I, I get that. How do you cultivate a bench? How do you bring bench guys along? How do you build that thing while you're also giving your starters big minutes? You want Chubb to run the ball five times a game, or you want Chubb to run the ball 25 times a game? I'll, I'll, I'll take the 25. Okay. So, you got guys that you know are your go-to key guys. This is about winning games. It's about winning games. And if, you, if you're on a team that's not in the hunt, not in the race, they, they're just developing, you know, gain the, uh, gain the game experience. And then next year we'll add another piece and we'll be better. And maybe that's when we can compete for a playoff spot. The Cavs are a team that Cavs beat Boston two times within a week. Yeah. Early in the season. Not first many place teams Boston that. Celtics, right. So if you're one of those teams, you can't shy away from it. And there's a line of communication between JB and not only the training staff, the analytics people, the front office, but he and his players. And I'm sure knowing him that he says to the players, you're struggling. If you're struggling and you, you feel that it's, it's getting hard, these extra, just tell me and I'll cut back. But if you feel good, you're in the kind of shape that we think you're in. Guys have done it for a lot of years in the NBA. They've averaged 38, 39, mm -hmm. 40 minutes. And it's amazing how many of those guys wind up winning championships, averaging that many minutes. So it can be done. The right mindset, taking care of your body, getting the trainers and, and the, the work done on your body every day that you need so you can bounce back and give that kind of performance. But I understand. And if I was JB, I'd be doing the same thing. 
playing the guys that I know are going to help me win games, the minutes that I need them. Because the NBA is tough. Mike, ESPN came out with its power rankings this week. They do that every week. Cavaliers are fifth in their NBA power rankings. Do you think they're a surprise? Or do you think they are where they're supposed to be? Not just in the power rankings, but I mean in the standings and the way they've played so far. Have they caught folks by surprise? Or do you think that's where everybody thought they would be and where they thought they would be? Well, let me guess. I would get, I, I guess that Boston and Milwaukee were up there ahead of them. They were. Phoenix was up there. And I was going to ask you the other two teams. So one is Phoenix, and then who's the missing one? I forget. But the Cavaliers were number five. Yeah, well, it, it's amazing. I bet you that three and four – and we'll put five in there. I bet you they all wind up changing positions as the season goes on, you know, based on what's coming up next. As you know, the Cavs uh, go away for a couple games here coming up back-to-back or two games on the road, but then come back home for six straight. And those six straight are not easy opponents when you look at who's coming into the Cavs building. So you got to be ready each night regardless. You know, I know they have played out of their minds, okay, in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. But uh, now you're going to get some tough hombres coming in here who look at the <laughs> record and say, let's put the next loss on there for the Cavaliers. So you got to be ready for all that coming up. All right, what's on the schedule? Where are you going? I'm going Saturday uh, to Washington. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers against the Washington Wizards. And then from there, I'll come back here for a day or two. And then a week on the road in L.A. when the Clippers get back home and play uh, three three home games over five days. All right. The man who travels the country, bringing basketball to everybody and takes time for this. Mike, thank you, buddy. It's Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. Can I be an ambassador in another city or just Cleveland? I think you'll have to deal with the Chamber of Commerce there. Cleveland has you locked in. I think you're on your own after that. I'll do my best. (laughs) You'll do a great job wherever you are. Thank Thank you, sir.